So one of the things that I, t- I talk about a lot is embracing the new normal. Ooh, tell me about so that. So by new normal, what I mean is the place where we're at now, mm. you know, because that's that's normal for us now. Yes. Um, for me, the day before my son died, I was a dad. The day after I my son died, I was still a dad, but I didn't have my son. Right. You know, normal had changed. For me, normal was never going to be the same as it was before. Right. And so I have to learn how to adapt and how to work within the the range of what normal is now. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest was born and raised in Utah and has stayed because family is important to him. He is something of a Renaissance man. He loves to read, write, paint, draw, sing, and ballroom dance. His day, night, and weekend job is being a realtor. He has been married for 25 years to an amazing woman named Susan that rolls her eyes at his dad jokes, but he is sure that she is laughing hysterically inside. As a writer, he is known by the name of A.D. Sherman. I am pleased to present Alan Smith. Alan, are you ready to share your story of hope? Let's go. Awesome. So first we have to tackle your A.D. Sherman name. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> well, so my name is Alan Smith. Uh-huh. That's a little boring. Yeah. You know, I, you there's go probably to, a lot of those. You go to look on the shelf and you see a Smith. Uh, you know, that's not really that exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a little shy about my writing still, I think. And so I just I decided I was going to write under a pseudonym. And Very so good. I thought I thought about it for a long time. And I was known as Sherman by a lot of friends in high school, kind of a throwback to the Bullwinkle and Rocky show where they <laughs> had good. Sherman and Peabody, the dog that adopted the little boy. Yes. And so I went by Sherman for a lot of years. And uh-huh. so as I was playing with names, I'm like, what can I do? And I'm like, oh, I could do my initials and Sherman. So it's A.D. Sherman. A is for Alan. And the D can be a lot of different things, you know, because it could be for death and dismemberment could be for dragons and dracula and all of those just fun things disillusionment there you go you You leave it open to interpretation be just open and fun and something to play with all the time oh very good i love that (laughs) well that is fun and you're working on releasing a book soon i am working on a book it is called the undertaker's apprentice Wonderful. And it's about a 16-year-old boy who on his first awkward day as the Undertaker's apprentice, he accidentally becomes a sorcerer. Ooh, sounds good. You'll have to keep us posted on that. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to dive back into your story of your life. Oh, and there's lots of stories. Oh, and and we're going to talk about a couple of them. So this is going to be great. So why don't you take us back to your childhood a little bit and tell us what it was like growing up in your household. So growing up in my house was really interesting. I was <clears throat> I was the oldest of four kids. Uh-huh. And I was also very, very small. 
So I didn't get included in a lot of things. In fact, I got bullied by uh, several of the people that I grew up with in my neighborhood. Darn it. And so I, <clears throat> I didn't have a lot of friends. I had one friend that I hung around with and he was awesome. Um, but you know, other than that, I just didn't really have a, a, a good connection with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so that was a struggle. Um, my mom had some complications with a couple of pregnancies and with postpartum and different things like that. And so at a really young age, I spent a lot of time doing the laundry and cooking the meals and <clears throat> doing all sorts of things like that. In fact, one year, my brother sent me a Mother's Day card because, oh. you know, he's just kind of a smart aleck that way. But <laughs> And, and we, we joke a lot in our family and stuff but you know that's kind of how it was i took care of the kids a lot growing up so i didn't have a lot of childhood Mm. i didn't do a lot of fun things right but yet did you joke a lot back then or have you become more so that's that's something that i've worked into over the you know over the last 30 or 40 years (laughs) yeah you know you you kind of grow into it and you learn to deal with the things that happen in life and um, how to accept them and how to work through them and to have a sense of humor around it. That's awesome. I think that's a really good way to do things. I know my husband has that gift too. He's always been a little bit of a jokester and it's actually been very helpful as we've passed through hard times. So it's, it's a good thing to remember. It's good to laugh, right? It is. It's really good. <laughs> that's awesome. So when you were 18, you had something very unusual happen to you. So when I was 18 years old, I had a pretty significant stroke. Which is so unusual for an 18-year-old. Yeah, you don't expect that. It's something that's just a little bit different (laughs) for an 18-year-old. Yeah, why don't you tell us about that? Walk us to that day. So we didn't identify it right away. It Uh was several months later that we realized what had happened. Okay. Um, So I was working. I worked in a warehouse at a, ironically, at a book warehouse. Oh, there you go. And uh, I just, I was at work and I got feeling really, just all of a sudden I got really dizzy and very nauseous Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stand up and I couldn't see. And it was just, it was very, just kind of insane. Well, I worked there with my mom and we had driven together that day and she had to be at work all day. So I went up and went into the the bathroom upstairs uh, away from everything. And I spent a good half hour, 45 minutes throwing up and just being miserable. And I dragged myself finally out to the couch in the break room. And that's where I slept all day. Wow. And uh, within a couple of days, I felt better and and, not completely better, but, you know, better enough that I was able to go back to work and... Mm -hmm. We thought that was the end of it. Well, I went in for a physical when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and they do this little test where they have you look at your, their nose and they put their fingers out to the side and they say, how many fingers do you see over here? And how many fingers do you see over here? Uh Well, I could see one side. I could not see the fingers on the other side. They just didn't exist to me. I'm like, oh, there's two fingers over here, you know, showing this side. And he had both arms out. Oh, interesting. And so this brought about a lot of tests and a mm-hmm. lot of different things. And they misdiagnosed me as having a uh, an issue with a heart valve and took uh, blood thinners for years and just different things like that to kind of help manage the situation because they still didn't know. Right. So fast forward to about 12 years well, maybe 14, 15 years ago, because time flies. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um and I'm having st- 
stroke symptoms or MS symptoms. We're just really not sure what's going on. I'm having weakness. I'm mm -hmm. having just lots of different things. We go in and see a doctor and they're like, oh, you have what's called a PFO or an opening between the chambers in your heart. And that allows little blood clots to happen. So I was having more little strokes again. Oh, And wow. so um, we went in and had a little surgery that they do with a, a catheter and went in and closed it closed up that hole mm -hmm. with a device that um, is generally pretty successful, except for in like 5% of the people. Here's 5% oh, over no. here. It's me. <laughs> oh, so no. it didn't completely seal the hole. So um, try another surgery 10 months later to see what they can do because they thought it was another hole, but it was just the first hole. And I mean, gotcha. so there's just like all of these different weird things over the years that have just kind of continued to rear their head around that, that first stroke and that the experience of trying to figure out what in the heck is going on with me? Mm -hmm. Why do I feel tired all the time? Why do I feel, you know, why do I just not feel like I can really accomplish much? Wow. And so we thought it was depression. We thought it was this, we thought it was that. Mm -hmm. And finally, you know, about that, like I said, about 14, 15 years ago, we figured out what it was. And so that made a big difference in my ability to start moving forward and be able to really accomplish things in life, knowing what it was instead of always wondering. Right. Wow. That's crazy. So it took them that long to be able to diagnose that first episode at 18 years old as a stroke then. So a few months later, they're like, well, it probably was a stroke. And I'm like, well, <laughs> really? Probably. But because they didn't, you know, because they didn't have it right then, they can't they can't, you know, say, well, yeah, for sure it was. Mm -hmm. But it's obvious because, you know, MRIs were new at the time. Yes, oh. I am that old. And so <laughs> they used to drive around in a semi truck and deliver it to each hospital and they'd each get a day. Oh, wow. Um, it, yeah, pretty funny, right? Um, and so <clears throat> right at the beginning of that, that new technology, they were able to go in and look at the, the MRI of my brain and there's, there's dead zones. <laughs> oh boy. You're <laughs> you know, like, thanks. Gray spots that are obviously from a stroke. And so, you know, you start putting all of those pieces together and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, here you go. Wow. That is really interesting. And so just watch for those symptoms so that I bet they're probably better at recognizing. Yeah. Them now. There are some really good keys to being able to watch for things like that. If you see a little bit of, if you see a little drooping in someone's face or you feel tingling in your face and in your fingertips or, you know, did you feel that? Yeah. Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it, it, you know, this is 30 ish years ago right? or so. And so you know, they really don't, they really didn't look at those things. They didn't really look for how to manage that and, or, you know, they didn't expect 18 year olds to no. have strokes or things like that. So no, they just really didn't look at all of the things that could happen there. So, wow, that's crazy. So after age 18, you ended up getting married. Yeah. So I've been married for 25 years. Congratulations. <laughs> Wonderful. We had our anniversary last February, which was amazing. Oh, fantastic. 25 years. Yeah. And she hasn't kicked me out yet. So we're in good shape. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. And I have met your wife and she's a wonderful woman. Well, she must be if she's married to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to have put up with me for that long. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but marriage and 
parenthood did not start off as smooth sailing for you guys. No, it really didn't. Why don't you tell us a little bit Um, about that? So May of 96, May 6th of 1996, we were blessed to be parents. Awesome. Um, We had the birth of our first son, whose name is Bryce. And it was amazing. And he was beautiful and perfect and healthy and everything was great. Mm -hmm. Except that August 14th of 1996, he died at daycare of SIDS. Oh, my God. Just, you know, not something you can plan for no. or expect or know is going to happen. It just, uh, you know, you go to work and get the police show up at work and say, we have bad news. We need to take you back to the babysitters. Oh, my gosh. What were you thinking at that point? Well, they told us what had happened. Oh, they did. Uh, <clears throat> and then took us over to spend time with, with him. And, and what do you do? You ball. Yeah. And you and you try to recreate, you know, what your life's going to look like going forward. Yeah. That's that must have been so challenging. Did you find that you and your wife grieved differently? Of course we did. You know, for me, my job is the protector. Mm-hmm. My job is to take care of the family and to make sure that everything's okay and so for me I was about trying to control things and make sure that things were done right now and mm-hmm. uh, or because the, apparently I had screwed up somewhere I hadn't done my job I hadn't you know done what I was supposed to and for her it was it was this emptiness of this place where she you know should have never been to work mm. she shouldn't have gone to work because he felt abandoned because mm. somebody said that you oh, know gosh. that's that's why he left because he felt abandoned and so for years she felt like you know she had done something wrong Um, well, and you know, the blessing for us was that it didn't happen at home, that it did happen at daycare. And that was really rough on the amazing woman who was watching him. Sure. Um, because she's the one that found him instead of us. Right. Um, and so that took away some of the issues that other families have had in dealing with the death of an infant. Right. Um, but we still had a lot of issues. We had to deal with the ideas of what if. You know, what if I had just gone to pick him up two hours earlier? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, we hadn't taken him to daycare that day? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, what if, what if? You know, you, you, there's always a hundred things you think about that maybe you could have done differently. Right. And then after that, you're thinking about all the things that you're going to miss out on. All the things that will never happen. We'll never get to see him married. We'll never get to see him go to school. We'll never get to see him do any of those things. So a lot of it was, you know, the loss of expectations. Yes. You know, and that can be really, really difficult as well. It is. And it, I know, I, I, I remember learning about the loss of expectations when our son was diagnosed with autism and right. that those dreams crumbled and it, and that same thing happened for you. And we don't think that we grieve those expectations. Oh, but we do. You know, it's amazing how powerful those images in our mind become. So how did, what did you do to cope with that? So we kind of threw ourselves into helping other people. Really? We had an amazing woman, um, woman that her name is Jolene. Mm-hmm. Well, actually her, her name's Jody, but she prefers Jolene. Um, Jody came to our house the first day, that very first day. Mm-hmm. Um, we were told by the police officers that responded and that took care of us um, that it looked like SIDS. 
Mm-hmm. And so they gave us a phone number for a hotline and we called and this woman shows up at our house out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a peer counselor, someone who'd been through it. Okay. Um, and she was there and she held our hands and walked us through it and was there for us and suggested things that maybe we wouldn't think of that could be done before, um, before the funeral. Um, mm. So we were able to have somebody go and do a plaster cast of his hand and his, of his foot oh. that sits in our curio cabinet, which is fantastic. When I'm just having one of those days, I can just go over and look at it because mm-hmm. I don't want to rub the, you know, I don't want to rub on it or anything mm-hmm. because that would, you know, remove the detailing. Um, but so she was just there mm-hmm. and we could call her and ball and ball. And she was there. Oh. Um, we had support group meetings once a month for families. Mm-hmm. And so we went and we were able to talk to other people who had had the same experience or similar experiences and um, right. were, were dealing with that. And so we had a lot of support through that group, through, through the Utah SIDS Alliance at that time. Mm-hmm. And when the time came, they asked us if we would be willing to step in and help other people and to do some of that. And so Susan and I took over as the co-presidents of the of that organization for a few years. Wonderful. And we were able to run the support groups and we were able to help and work with the state um, health department in doing educational things. Um, we ran something called the Back to Sleep campaign and we had these little itty bitty baby t-shirts mm-hmm. printed up that said, this side up for, for the uh, for the front oh. so, so that people would remember to place babies on their backs instead mm-hmm. of placing them on their side or on their tummy to sleep mm-hmm. because the incidence of SIDS was much higher when they were on their side or when they were on their, their tummy to sleep. Interesting. Don't know what that is. Don't know right. why. There's yeah. a lot of theories and a lot of different things around SIDS that people just don't understand and don't know. And that's kind of what SIDS is, is the absence of a diagnosis or of a reason and so we were able to do just some amazing things we were able to work with some amazing families all over the state in fact there's another group of families down in southern utah that would help and worked on running support groups down there and so it was amazing to be able to create this this community of people that could support one another and be a part of that and we still are super close to those families and, and run into them all the time or call them or do things. And so it's been really nice That's to right. have that support. Yeah, I can see that. So what were your conversations with God like at that point? Why? Mm-hmm. A whole lot of why. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, I've learned that um, the why was because I had something to learn and I needed to be in a place where I could benefit others. Mm. I needed the life experience of where I'm at in order to do the things that I, I need to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> doesn't necessarily mean you're happy to hear that. No. You're happy to learn that as you go. <laughs> no. But that's what my conversations with, with God were, were like. It was, here's, here's, here's what you're supposed to do with this. Mm-hmm. So, I, and over the last 23 years since Bryce died, we've had the opportunity to be there and support many of our friends, family, strangers, people that live near us um, in dealing with significant issues and grief around the loss of someone in their life, not necessarily just babies, but spouses and 
siblings or parents, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, because it creates you a, a different thought process for me mm-hmm. around if somebody's hurting, I, I need to be there to help take care of them. Because you've been there. Been there. Been there, done that. Yeah. Don't want to ever do it again. No. <laughs> Darn it. I know, right? Right. <laughs> did did that impact at all? Now you have two other children. D- did that make you guys scared to have more children? So <clears throat> our, our next oldest is Haley. Mm-hmm. She's 21 now. Mm-hmm. And she's a mom herself. Wonderful. Um, when we were pregnant, when, or when my wife was pregnant with, with Haley, um, she was just a little bit of a train wreck and just worried that everything's going to be, uh, you know, that she's not ever going to make it, that it's not, you know, something's going to happen before she's ever born. Mm-hmm. And I was totally calm and at peace and ev- that everything would be fine. Well, when the baby was born, when Haley was born, we traded places. Oh, And so Susan was really pretty calm around things and, and felt pretty comfortable. And, um, I was a train wreck. Oh. And so I, the kids would get, got used to me popping in in the middle of the night and I'd go put my hand on them and just make sure they were breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd check on them and I'd, you know, so the, my kids never snuck out of the house as youth because they knew that dad would probably <laughs> wake up and catch them because I was, I'd check in on them all night long. You know, I mean, it was just, if I woke up, I went in and checked on my kids. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just one of those crazy things. And, it, there's probably a little bit of crazy there, but it was, it is what it is. And right. that's just how I managed it. Yeah. It's probably your role as protector. When your mom, when your wife was, right. yeah. When your wife was pregnant, your wife there's was no, in control, there's right? There's nothing I could do. Yeah. And so it's once the baby was born that you felt like, okay, I've got to protect okay, my I got to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. I got to make sure everything's done right. I got to make sure that they're sleeping okay. And that, my wife, if there's something happened that my wife isn't the one to find them or whatever, you know, right. I, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that goes on in your head. That's, that must've been hard. <laughs> Do you still wake up at night, even though your kids aren't in your house anymore? Yeah, but not as much. Right. So now they're grown up and you can say, okay, I've checked that box. Yeah. They're their own people now. Yeah, they, they, we've taught them what we can and sent them on their way. So they've sent themselves on their way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and so, and they call for advice and I, you know, I do the best I can and giving them ideas on how to manage what's going on in their worlds. And you just have to let them, let them do their thing. Try not to be in the middle of it all. Right. So you've had quite the array of experiences, and I know that you have even more beyond the three that we've discussed so far. What lessons have you been able to pull from this? I mean, you talked about the empathy and empathizing and serving others. So that's definitely something. But what oh, yeah. else? So one of the things that I ask myself in, in every situation, and I have done this for years, is what is it that I need to learn from this? What is it that this is, is going to do for me in my life moving forward? Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I take this and use it in a positive way? Right. Because you can take all of the crazy stuff that happens in your life and you can let it beat you down. Mm-hmm. You can let it be something that just makes you a miserable, cantankerous, evil, nasty person to be around. Mm-hmm. Or you can use it to say, okay, what did I learn? Mm. How can I be a better person because of this. 
I, you know, I can go back and track um, all of the things that have happened in my life and the, some of the friends that I've made and the places that I live now. I can trace those back to my son dying. Isn't that interesting? Because that turned us down a different path. Hmm. Um, the fact that I <clears throat> don't have any peripheral vision on my left side directed me to buy a specific type of car that has a little blind spot detector that flashes at me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when there's a car in my blind spot, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's things that you you do because of certain other things. And so mm-hmm. if we, if we look at the fact that, you know, we're guided in our lives, people expect it to be this, this big flashing thing that's out there and says, Hey, you're supposed to turn left, you know, like on the freeway. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we still miss those, right? Yes, we do. But, you know, when we don't have much choice because of an event in our life, we make a decision that, that directs us a, a certain way. Um, we're being directed. We're being guided to where we need to be to learn the things that we need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've been able to take these instances and say, all right, God's putting me on a different path. It might not be the path I want to walk. Uh, well, but, that's for sure. But he's putting me on this path, and what can I learn from it? Exactly. Uh, because I certainly would not have put myself on the path of having a child that had passed away. No, never. I don't think any parent would. No, right? Yeah. I, you know, they all the time say in movies, parents are not supposed to outlive their children. Yeah. And it's true, mm-hmm. because that's a sentiment that we all have, mm-hmm. you know. And people shouldn't get cancer and people shouldn't have to deal with abuse and people shouldn't have to, you know, go through lots of medical and health things, but we all do. We all mm-hmm. have our things in life that are, are in front of us, um, whether we like them or not. Mm-hmm. The only thing we get to choose really is how we react mm-hmm. to any given situation. Yeah. We don't get to choose how the car drives in front of us and, and that they run a red light Mm-hmm. and hit us you know we don't we don't get to we don't get to choose those things all we get to do is just make choices around how we deal with consequences and how we deal with the events as they come up in our lives oh that's such wise wisdom there that you're passing on thank you um what other things have you learned from all these tragedies that we tend to we tend to look at the negative Um, one of the things that we learned early on after our son died is that we tend to make things just a lot worse than they really are. Um, so we, we met with a psychologist that came in and worked with the group. Mm -hmm. Um, and he introduced something to us that he called awfulizing. Awfulizing. Okay. Tell me about awfulizing. So it's, it's like you get a hangnail. Mm Mm-hmm. And it gets worse and it gets worse. And all of a sudden you just feel like you're going to have to go in and get your thumb amputated. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it hurts so bad. Yeah. And so you've, you've taken this little hangnail and you're, now your thumb is throbbing and you're sure it's infected and you're sure that you're going to have to go in and at least have the nail taken off or whatever. Right. You know, you've created this thing that is just horrible. Right. Out of something that's really pretty small. And, and it's because we tend to, to focus on some of those negative things and don't know how to get out of that cycle. So how do you get out of that cycle? So we have this, pro- this little process that we teach people. And I tell them that you have to scale everything in your life on a 1 to 10 scale. Okay. Um, and I, I call it the 1 to really crappy scale. <laughs> um, and right. so 
10 being the worst, right. you know, think about your life or my life. Mm-hmm. Think about what's the worst possible thing that's ever happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that? What does that look like? How, how awful does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. That's your 10. Okay. So for me, my 10 is that my son Bryce died. Right. You know, nothing else in life really can compare to where that is right. and how awful that was and, and how hurtful that is still sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I come home from work and the kids have been playing in the house and uh, I do the laundry and I throw everything into the dryer and I come back later and I find that the kids had put crayons in the dryer. <gasps> oh, cool along with everything else that I, and it just happened to be the whites that were in there. And now we've got melted crayon and all of the white clothes, the dress shirts and all of those types of things. We tend to grow that into an eight. Mm. But if you look at, if you look at what's really going on in life, that's probably a three, maybe even a two. Right. Right. So comparing it to the worst thing. Exactly. Mm. So if you, if you have a tendency to always put yourself in a place of misery Mm-hmm. or scarcity, uh, you just take, you really have to scale that and remind yourself, okay, this isn't the worst thing. This is really an okay thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had a friend that, um, so I spoke in uh, a church meeting mm-hmm. and talked about this specific thing and, uh, you know, talked about how my 10, you know, was, was when Bryce died and, you know, how everything else in life to me now seems like it's about a two or a three. You know, sometimes there are sixes and eights, and sure, but they're generally not as um, severe. Right. And she came up to me afterward, and she says, "You know, we're just getting ready to move, mm-hmm. and our five-year-old. We had all of our clothes lined up in the laundry room, kind of the stuff that we're taking um, to make sure that everything was there. And he opened a bottle of bleach and poured it all over everything. Oh no! <laughs> and we're leaving in three days oh, to move out of out of the country for this job assignment." And I'm realizing that it felt like a 10 and it's really a three. Right. And so it's really, it's really good for us to be able to have that something to compare to. Right. You know, you can, you know, take it and compare it to whatever that happens to be in your life. Or if you don't have something really bad or that doesn't feel like you, it just doesn't feel real. You can borrow my 10. (laughs) Yeah. And just, no, thanks. (laughs) and And just think, okay, how does it compare to Alan's 10? Right. Okay. This really is not a 10. Right. 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 You know, um, and, and suddenly you, you feel a lot lighter. You feel like you're in a much better place. Wow. Isn't it amazing that we can control so much of our reaction by just changing our thoughts? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge difference. That's amazing. Because that's where, that's where most of those things live is, is in our thoughts. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we roll them around and around and around in our head and they, they pick up some momentum. They do. And you know, it's, it's like being on a roller derby course. Yeah. Um, especially if you're tired, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, or worn out or sick, everything is much worse. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind finishing telling us a few other lessons you learned along the way and maybe advice that you would give to others who have been in similar situations? Sure. Awesome. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? 
I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. Today I'm interviewing Alan Smith about some of the life detours he has been on and he's been giving us some advice of what he has learned um, having a child who died with SIDS, having a stroke at age 18, and also being an early caretaker and bullied when he was young. So Alan, we have talked about awfulizing and we've also talked about making a scale in our minds of what's really awful. And then when bad things happen during the day, also putting that on this awful scale and saying, okay, this really isn't as bad as that one thing. So we, we kind of tone down our reaction to it. So those are two just amazing tips. What other advice or things have you learned from all these things that you have been through in your life? So, you know, there are so many things that we can learn if we just pay attention. Yes, that's true. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, you talked a little bit about being, uh, the, about the fact that I was bullied when I was younger. Yes. And it was the kids in my neighborhood. Right. And there was one specific person who was uh, just pretty horrendous, mm -hmm. pretty awful to me, um, and looked for every opportunity to make my life miserable. At uh, least that was my perception at the time. Sure. You know, and, and honestly, looking back, he's just being a normal kid and just didn't have a sense of, you know, how you treat people. Right. Um, or maybe he did. I don't know. Right. But I'm, it's not something that I've held on to and- um, it's because I had an opportunity at one point, um, in my religious upbringing, um, we often have an opportunity to go and be in a very spiritual place. And one of the, one of the opportunities is, is, is to stand in a circle of prayer. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they, they say to you is that if you have any hard feelings towards someone in the circle, um, that you should withdraw. Well, it just happened that we were both in the, had the same opportunity at the same time. Mm. And so this person was there standing across from me um, in this circle. And I had the opportunity at that minute to say, do I withdraw? Do I move, remove myself from the situation or mm -hmm. do I continue and just let go of it? Mm. And I chose to let go. Wow. I just decided okay, here's my chance. Here's how it's going to be. It was a split second. It wasn't something that I had time to, to think about, um, to plan, to work through, um, all those things that we, we put together when we're trying to forgive someone. Mm -hmm. It was an instantaneous, either I do it or I don't. Right. And I did it. Wow. And that was 30 years ago. 
And I can honestly say that in the last 30 years, I have not harbored any ill will towards him. Wow. It just went away. And obviously that's not my doing. Right. I believe that's part of, you know, God's plan. I consider that to be a part of the atonement because mm-hmm. um, I'm Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and, and for what he did for us. Um, I believe that that was taken. I offered it up and said, I'm willing to give it up. And he said, I'm willing to take it. Wow. And I've never had, I've never had another ill feeling or anger towards him in any way, shape or form. And about, about 13, 14 years later, I got a phone call and they said that this person had had a heart attack and died at a very young age. Wow. And I felt incredibly blessed that it was something that I had let go of and I, I could go to the viewing and I could go to the funeral and I didn't feel like I was still mad. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, there was just, it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And so it was amazing to me that I had that opportunity and that I was able to just let go. And what it, what it's taught me over the years is that it doesn't have to be a long drawn out process. I can just, I can just say it Mm -hmm. and it can go away. It's just a matter of releasing it and saying, here you go, please take it away. And, and it'll be, it'll go away. That is, that is awesome because often when we harbor bad feelings towards someone, it's doing us more harm than it probably ever did for them. Right. They're oblivious. They don't (laughs) know know that they don't know what's going on in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. But it's us that it's hurting that that is a powerful lesson. And God is strong enough to help us overcome those feelings and he can take them. Yep. As long as we're willing to give them. Yeah. And get rid of them and, and give them away and let them be somewhere else and just not exist, then he'll take them away. That's amazing. That's a fantastic lesson to learn. So what advice do you give to people who are grieving or who have lost a family member or a child or someone close to them? I know you've had a chance to counsel them. So what, what advice do you give to those people? So one of the things that I, t- I talk about a lot is embracing the new normal. Ooh, tell me about so that. So by new normal, what I mean is the place where we're at now, mm. you know, because that's, that's normal for us now. Yes. Um, for me, the day before my son died, I was a dad. The day after I, my son died, I was still a dad, but I didn't have my son. Right. You know, normal had changed. For me, normal was never going to be the same as it was before. Right. And so I have to learn how to adapt and how to work within the the range of what normal is now. Mm. I've, I've heard this story told and I've told it a lot of times over the years. It's like you're going to go on vacation and you've planned this amazing trip to Italy and you've got all of these plans for where you're going to go and you go to the airport and you get on the plane and they say, Welcome to this flight that's going to get into Italy and, you know, relax, go to sleep. We'll wake you up when we get there mm-hmm. and you go to sleep and you wake up and they, as, and they land and you get to the gate and they say, welcome to Holland. <laughs> and you're like, but wait a minute, I was planning to go to Italy, uh-huh. but you're in Holland and there's amazing things in Holland. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool stuff that you can see. There's windmills and there's tulips mm-hmm. and there's wooden shoes and mm-hmm. 
there's all of these really cool things, but it's still not Italy. Right. And so you're in this different place that can be really wonderful and can be great. It's just not the same as what you were expecting. Mm. And so learn to identify that things can still be good, mm. you know, is a, is a part of that. You know, the other part of that is when you're on the other side of the, of the table from someone who has, is in a new normal space. Yes. Or if you're the person in the new normal space, realizing that anyone that's not in the normal space with you doesn't get it. They don't really understand what you're going through because they go home to their normal. Yeah. Their normal isn't affected daily by whatever it is you're going through. Yeah. It is affected by whatever's going on at their their place or where they live or where they work or wherever they're at at that moment. So oftentimes people who've had a loss and the in the beginning, people just crowd around them and just support them and hold them up and take care of them and bring meals and just walk by and drop off flowers or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. there's a ton of this, but as they get reabsorbed into their new normal. Mm -hmm. So for me, Bryce died mm -hmm. and we come home to a house that was now empty instead of having a baby there. And but our neighbors still came home to their two kids. Right. Our neighbors down the street came home to their four kids. And so they're absorbed in managing all of their things in their life. And it's two weeks past the funeral. And so they don't think about the fact that I'm still over here going home to an empty house. Yeah. They're because they're absorbed in all of the other things. Does that make sense? Yes, totally does. And so it's, about creating a place where you remember that somebody's in the new in, in a new normal space and finding ways to still support them in that place mm -hmm. and be able to help them with whatever happens to be coming up for them or whatever is getting in their way or causing them to you know have a really hard day that day and it's it doesn't have to be crazy hard it doesn't have to be a lot of work it can be really simple things sending them a text thinking about you today right just so that they know that somebody's aware of them. Right. That they're um, in a new normal right now. Right. Um, acknowledging when there's some sort of an anniversary or, a, or some sort of a, uh, a date that's significant. So um, for many years, we had friends who would drop us a note on Bryce's birthday. Oh. Or the, somebody would drop off flowers. Or a friend would go by the cemetery and leave flowers on the grave. Um without saying anything. Right. You know, they didn't, it didn't have to be something that they, you know, were in our face about because they didn't know how to manage it or what to say about it. Right. Um, somebody recently, you know, remembered that um, the day that our son died was August 14th mm -hmm. and did a very kind thing for us on that day. Aww. And so it was like 23 years later, somebody still remembered. Right. And so that was pretty fantastic. So just being aware of what other people's needs are, mm -hmm. putting a little note in your calendar that says, hey, so-and-so's son's birthday is this day. Yeah. A year from now so that you remember to check in on them. Yeah. On that specific day or the day before mm -hmm. to say, hey, just checking on you mm -hmm. and keep it simple. Don't say I'm so sorry or whatever. You just, it just say, I'm thinking of you. That's all they need. They just need to know that somebody's aware of, of their circumstance and where they're at. 
That is amazing advice. And I love the the practical application of it, of just setting a reminder on our phones. That is so smart. We have so many easy reminders. Yes, we do. You know, I mean, in the olden days we had, my wife still has this, a flip calendar with everybody's birthdays, <laughs> right? And, yes. and so each month you look at everybody's birthdays. You don't remember deaths mm-hmm. in the same way. No, you don't. So, but we've got such easy electronic devices available and things that we can do that we can just jump in and give ourselves a reminder or just schedule a reminder three weeks or a month or two months out to, to, that just says, hey, check on Chelsea or check on Robert or whomever it is that you want to check on yeah. and make sure that they're okay. Make yeah. sure that they know that someone is thinking of them. That's all that people want. They just want to know that they're loved and thought of. Yeah. And that means so much. It does. It makes a huge difference in yeah. somebody's day. It does. Oh, that is fantastic advice. Now, you also mentioned to me um, before we started the show that you had some advice with regards to Sleepless in Seattle, the movie. <laughs> so, so why don't you elaborate on that a little so bit? So <laughs> my wife and I have, uh, you know, we like certain movies yes, because they just have such wonderful thoughts to them. And, you know, and um, in that movie, Tom Hanks is being interviewed by a radio personality mm-hmm. on a New Year's Eve when he's all by himself or no, it's Christmas Eve, I think. Okay. Um, and she said, how did you get through it? Mm. You know, and, and his, his thought was, you know, I just remind myself to breathe mm. and, and hopefully someday I won't have to remind myself to breathe. Right. And so the advice that I give people is that, you know, you don't have to live for an entire hour, you can just live moment to moment as you're able to start with one breath mm-hmm. and then start with another breath. Yeah. And pretty soon you'll be able to take two breaths and be able to manage those two breaths. And if that's all you can do is remind yourself to take those two breaths, then that's what you do. Yeah. And be in that place and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has an expectation that's different. Mm-hmm. Nobody expects you to be perfect or to do something that's beyond your ability. You just have to know that it, it'll get better. Yeah. It does get better. It gets easier over time and it's, it's things are softened. Thankfully, we are able to manage things better. It still hurts that my son died. Yeah. And that's been 23 years. But I have all these amazing things that have happened because of that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know that looking back, that hindsight is really easy to use. Yeah. But if you're in a bad place right now, just do it a breath at a time. I love that. And that's advice that I give as well. That <laughs> For me, I usually say five minutes, but sometimes you can't even go five minutes. So I love that. Just a breath at a time. A breath at a time. That's beautiful. One, one inhale, one exhale. And I can do that. <sighs> there you go. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all it takes. Yeah. And there's something that happens when you release that, that breath that helps you move forward. Mm. And so just remember to move forward as you're able. That's beautiful. Nobody has any bigger expectation than that. Wonderful. That is fantastic. So how did God help you through all of this? You talked about the power of forgiveness, but how did he help you through the loss of your son? So he put amazing people in my life. Um, he directed us in some of the things that we needed to do. 
because we weren't great at making decisions at that point mm-hmm. <laughs> because we, our brain um, was not great at processing things. We were still in a bad place. Right. Um, and so soon after Bryce died, we moved to a new home mm-hmm. um, and we made some amazing connections with friends who 25 years later, 23 years later are, are some of our best friends. There's, Mm -hmm. there's three or four or five couples that are just incredible friends that we just relied on. We had neighbors to either side and neighbors across the street and they took care of us. Mm -hmm. They didn't judge us. They didn't act like we were weird or that we did strange things, which we did. Mm-hmm. You know, because you do strange things when you don't, when you're not completely yourself mm-hmm. or when you're in a new normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so um, he placed wonderful people in our lives to help us and to, to support us. Yeah. And so creating those connections has been a lifelong um, help to us. He also gave us the ability to have perspective around things like the awfulizing that I was talking mm-hmm. about. Um, that didn't just come to us. We were in the right place at the right time. Um, and somebody shared that with us and we embraced it. Right. You know, so part of it was our choice to embrace what was placed in front of us. God will give us amazing opportunities, but we have to choose. Yes. And we have that option to choose anything in our life. And I think that we forget that sometimes I think we are so feel so wrought upon by daily occurrences and, and awful experiences and things that people do or, or you know, we don't, we, we don't get to process it all and we just feel like we're totally overwhelmed, but we forget that we can choose mm-hmm. how to manage that. And so we have to take a step back sometimes and take that deep breath yes. and then choose to move forward and choose which direction to move forward. Oh. That's, that's amazing. So basically he put earthly angels in your path. Absolutely. Yeah. And he does that. Of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to leave us alone. So watch for those earthly angels in your own life. They are. They're, they're everywhere you look. Mm -hmm. You just have to be open to the opportunity Mm -hmm. um, and be open to allowing somebody into the space where you are. Mm -hmm. Because if you're hurting, sometimes you just put up all your walls and don't let it, don't let people in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got, you just have to let them in a little bit and they don't have to be all the way in. They don't mm-hmm. have to be in the middle of it. They don't have to know all of the pain. You don't have to, you know, ugly cry in front of them <laughs> with the snot and the tears <laughs> and everything, you know, the drool, right. yeah. you know, you, but if they know that you're in that place, they're, people are more than willing to just be that person that checks in on you or that yeah. says, let's go to dinner or says, you know, let's have a barbecue or mm-hmm. let's go for a walk. Yeah. It doesn't have to be huge things. It can yeah. be little things or that leaves flowers on your si- on your porch. Yeah. Or that plants flowers in your yard when you're not looking. Or, <laughs> you know, my wife and I used to love to do that. We'd do drive-by planting, <laughs> you know, uh, because if we had extra flowers, we'd just stop at some one of our friend's houses or some random house and we'd throw some flowers in the ground. That's awesome. You know, because it's just fun to do crazy things like that. But, you know, that's how God got us through things is, is doing things spontaneously and looking for ways to help other people because other people were taking care of us. Yeah. And I think that's a great example that you and your wife set was taking this hurt 
and this loss and turning it into something that allowed you to help others who are going through that same hurt and loss. So I think that that probably also just helped you heal. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So you have some resources that you'd like to recommend. A couple of books, right? So I'm a big reader. Oh, yes, me too. <clears throat> Given that I also write and yes. read and, and listen to everything I can get my hands on, uh-huh. um, I have some favorite books that have really given me some direction. And some of them are just really simple. So one of my favorites is Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, tell us about this book. Because I, 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 have you read this one? I don't know if I have. Oh, my gosh. This is an incredible book. It talks about the, there's two little men and they're him and haw. Uh-huh. And there's two little mice named Skim and Scurry. Okay. And they live in this maze and every day they go to the cheese the cheese station to get cheese mm-hmm. well one day they show up and there's no cheese mm. and so they show up the next day and there's still no cheese <laughs> and they show up again and there's still no cheese uh-huh. they, which is just like our lives sometimes we show up for things and all of a sudden they're gone right so all of a sudden something has changed just like our lives yeah things change we i had a friend who got laid off his job last week Ugh. You know, uh-huh. um, and so things change. We don't necessarily get to choose again right. what happens in our lives. We just have to choose how to manage it. So in Who Moved My Cheese, uh-huh. you have him and Ha, the two little men who just stay right there and wait and lament and, and miss their cheese and miss how nice it was to show up and the cheese was always there. Uh-huh. And you have Skim and Scurry who just take their, their little sneakers off from around their necks and put them back on and they go out into the maze and run around to find new cheese. Mm. And so um, you can tell by their names, Ham and Ha, mm-hmm. that we are very much like those, you know, those people who just kind of hang out and wait for something to happen. Wait for somebody else to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I can guarantee you nobody's going to just do it for you all the time. Right. Once in a while, somebody will step into your life and do something wonderful for you. And then you need to move forward and use it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and take advantage of the fact that somebody did something wonderful and make it a part of who you are and be able to move forward and make it part of someone else's life too. Yes. But um, I loved who moved my cheese because it just reiterates in our lives that guess what? Everything's going to change. Yes. And we just need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And keep looking for your cheese. <laughs> and just keep looking for your cheese. Go to a new cheese station. There you go. Go find something else in life that's going to help direct you there. And so, and then there's lots of other books that will, you know, do some other things for you like that, but that's probably my favorite. That is awesome. So another one of the books that I really have liked is one called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's by the Arbinger Institute. Um, And it's one where it just gave me a lot of thoughts and helped direct my, my, my life in a way that was interesting to me. Um, because I'd, I hadn't thought of things in that same vein before mm-hmm. and how we we deceive ourselves. Ooh. You know, we have a lot of, we put up a lot of walls and we put up a lot of things that create um, stories or thought processes that aren't necessarily accurate. Mm. And so I, that's one that I would recommend that people go take a look at. So that just kind of helped you think about things a little bit. It just gave me some really good thought processes to to work through and to kind of think about. And it was it was really good. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link those in the show notes so that people can find it. 
Now, there might be somebody who has just really resonated with you and your story. Is there a way that they can reach out and find you? So you can email me. I'm using my my author email for that. It's adshermanauthor at gmail.com. Awesome. Uh, because that's just a really easy place for me to kind of gather that type of information and those types of emails into one place where I can follow up and make sure that I'm taking care of people. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Alan, you have been such a joy to have on the show and the bits of wisdom that you have shared with us are just amazing and profound. So I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through so many hard things to learn those bits of wisdom, but I'm so thankful that you are able to share them with us and to have such an amazing perspective on life. So thank you for sharing this with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me today. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode, so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, Perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden Above all else, remember, God loves you.